Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Great pleasure to be with you. I want to bring in my friend, Ambassador John Bolton, former U.S. National Security Advisor, former ambassador to the United Nations. He's now the chairman of the Foundation for American Security and Freedom and his book, The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir. Thank you, John. Thanks for coming. Glad to be with you, Larry. Appreciate it. Glad to do it. So you got one of these blockbuster articles that you put out from time to time in the Wall Street Journal, A New American Grand Strategy to Counter Russia and China. I just want to ask you at the top, uh, before we get to your bullets on how we should proceed, you know, it's Russia, China. You've got Saudis and Iran. It's like, really, all of a sudden? Uh, then I'm reading in the paper this morning or yesterday, uh, Brazil, left-wing Lula, Brazil and, uh, and China. And then there's North Korea, China, Iran. I mean, I, it just seems to me all these things, all these alliances – have gotten stronger and developed more under Joe Biden and Biden just thrashing around, not knowing how to handle any of this. And American prestige and power has suffered accordingly. I mean, I don't get it. It's too complicated. Well, it's I mean, I think your description is exactly right. I think the Biden administration is totally at sea, just just missing huge uh, shifting of, of tectonic plates geopolitically around the world. I think it's largely driven by China, but there are certainly the outriders like Iran and North Korea, like Brazil. I mean, China's uh, activity kind of across the board uh, is just something we're not dealing with. I think there are a lot of reasons for it. I think, I think the Biden administration came in obsessed with the idea of negotiating international agreements on climate change which meant it didn't want to press China too hard. It didn't want to press Russia too hard. Uh, and, and we're seeing some of the results. But I think it's also just because because they've got this vacuous idea that that if uh, democracies simply stick together, that, that they'll be safe. And the Chinese and the Russians have shown they don't buy that argument. You may recall we had a uh, uh, an interesting negotiation at the G7 meeting in Canada in 2018 when the Canadians and the French wanted to talk about a rules-based international order. Yep. Uh, and apparently Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin and, and a bunch of others never got that memo. So, you, you know, the Biden administration can talk about it all they want. We're, we're slipping behind our influence, our prestige, our declining day by day, which, which is why I thought we needed to get a discussion going about a new grand strategy. You know, just go back to that Canadian thing. That's exactly right. So we had all these negotiations uh, with, the, you know, the various heads of state uh, and Trump and so forth. But we insisted with this rules-based order idea that if a rules-based order didn't come about, 
that the United States would be free to take action. You remember how we had to fight for wording on that stuff? Well, exactly to give us the flexibility. Right. And, and uh, but the people we were arguing with actually believed it existed, and that's what the problem is. Well, so now uh, talk a little bit about China, Russia, because you know it looks like that axis is moving not only moving closer together but gaining more power, and I hate to use the phrase, but actually more currency, too. That's kind of a separate uh, issue with the dollar. But the fact is they're gaining more power. They're getting closer than anybody thought they'd ever get. Well, I think I think that's uh, that's right, and it's, uh, it's like the Sino-Soviet alliance of the Cold War, except the positions of the two are completely reversed. China's not just the dominant power here. It, it, it's, it's almost... Uh, like Russia has become a satellite, still a pretty powerful satellite in the nuclear field and the oil and gas field and uh, throwing its weight around, even if uh, unsuccessfully to an extent in Ukraine. But it's still in the Middle East. It's still causing trouble there, causing trouble around the world with South Africa and and Brazil. So the, the meeting in Moscow just a few weeks ago between Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin was a real marker for people paying attention that these people are on the move and we're, we're just standing around watching the world go by. Mm. So you say in this article, um, after Ukraine wins its war with Russia, we must aim to split the Russia-China axis. Moscow's defeat could unseat Mr. Putin's regime. Now, first of all, you believe Ukraine can win? Well, I think they can. I think uh, the Biden administration has not developed a strategy. I think you've seen one argument after another about this weapon system, that weapon system. Uh, the, the Russians have, have thrown in enormous resources, human and material. They're not doing very well. Uh, uh, and, and look, this is a huge benefit to us. Defense Secretary Austin said eight or ten months ago, what the Russians are doing is feeding their army into a wood chipper. Mm. And uh, mm. under this latest intelligence leak everybody's been reading about, apparently their special operations forces have been particularly depleted. So the Russians are exhausting their military power, their conventional power. We are getting battlefield testing of our weapon systems, and they're proving to be quite effective. Uh, and and this is this is the sort of thing that I think – at this point, I don't see any way out other than uh, continuing the war for some period of time. I don't see Zelensky and the Ukrainians negotiating. I certainly don't see Putin negotiating. But I think we need to bring this war to a successful conclusion from our point of view, which is proof that unprovoked aggression by Russia or China is not going to succeed. And if we can get to that point, I think it's very important to, to split Russia and China, given all of the natural resources Russia has, if they fell under effective Chinese control, whether outright annexation of much of Russian Asia or just hegemony over, just control over it, uh, to put all that potential wealth in the hands of the people running Beijing would be a huge setback for the United States and our allies. Mm. Um, just on that uh, subject of this Intel League, what else, uh, what else have you learned that's of significance? Well, I think there, the, 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 the cost of this to us is going to be substantial, and we don't really at this point still know the full extent of the leak. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's really incredible to think about somebody who's basically a systems uh, worker, a plumber, to keep, the, to keep the classified systems going, was able to access all this information and get it out. 
So there's a lot of harm done there, and uh, uh, assessing the full impact of it, we don't know. The Biden administration, the president's own reaction was, well, really, not much of significance has been released. I just think that's an incredible statement. I, I just, it, it's another example of them being asleep at the switch. Mm. We don't, it's true we don't know the full extent of the damage, but I don't think we should underestimate it. Yeah, well, asleep at the switch is exactly right. You know what else is terribly interesting in your article here? Uh, the idea that the uh, North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, could be expanded, kind of globalize it, invite, inviting Japan, Australia, Israel, and others committed to NATO defense spending targets and so forth. I've never seen that, and it, when I read it, it just made um, uh, eminent sense to me. Well, I think uh, it's uh, it's actually not my idea. It's Jose Maria Aznar, the former prime minister of Spain back about 20 years ago. And he uh, uh, really was trying to pitch it to the European allies. And it didn't get much traction then because they were still in the holiday from history. You know, when <laughs> the Cold War against the Soviet Union ended, people talked about the end of history and the peace dividend that was going to come. I think, I think we're past that now. But, uh, you know, NATO is... Uh, is is far from a perfect alliance. I'd be the first to say that. But its capabilities are enormous. And to bring in other countries in Asia and, and around the world, I think, would be a real plus. A lot of work to do there. But it goes with the pattern of, of from our point of view, having the right allies, having good allies, is a force multiplier for the United States. Mm. We, we desperately need it in the Indo-Pacific, where we have what academics like to call hub and spoke alliances, a bilateral with Japan, a bilateral with Australia, with South Korea. We don't have the kind of broader alliance that NATO represents. So there are a lot of possibilities there, a lot of things in the work. But uh, given the threat China poses, th- this is this is really urgent. And again, the Biden administration has gotten a few things right, but not at a strategic level and not in a concerted way. John Bolton, um would India be a part of that? I mean, India is flirting with China a lot. Sometimes they're not. They don't like them. Sometimes they do. They're part of the quad. And it doesn't sound like they are part of the quad. Would, in, you know, India, is it democracy? I mean, is India going to stick with the United States and the other democracies? Well, this is the huge question for the next several decades. I, I think Given the size of India, its population at, at some point may already actually have uh, exceeded China for the first time in recent memory uh, and likely to grow while China's population is likely to decline over the next several decades. Huge economic potential really uh, buried under loads of regulation and taxation and very complex government authority. But if we could convince the, the Indians that, uh, that being with us, being with the West as a whole really uh, was the, the way ahead. It would be of enormous benefit. We've got to break them away from their Cold War, really historical reliance on the Russians for critical, uh, sophisticated weapon systems. And I think a pretty good argument is, you know, your your friends, the Russians, are selling exactly those same systems mm-hmm. to the Chinese, mm-hmm. who are your principal adversary along that land border in the Himalayas and, and beyond that. So there's a lot of work to do here, but I would say to the government of India, you know, in the words of the famous saying, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. They've <laughs> got to make a choice. They've, yes. they've got to come out one way or the other. We need them to come out our way. Well, I thought Modi had pretty good relations uh, in the Trump with the Trump administration. 
But now it just doesn't read very well. That's why I asked the question. It just seems like they're no, I think moving right. away. Look, we have not had uh, uh, an ambassador in India during the entire course of, of the administration. One's on the way now, but two years went by mm-hmm. uh, without an ambassador. And, and by the way, that's true in a lot of other countries like Italy, if you can imagine that. Huh. Uh, so this, this administration that touts its diplomatic ability and how well it gets along with people does not have a good record in actually getting its people into some of these key positions. We're talking to John Bolton, former U.S. National Security Advisor, former ambassador to the United Nations, now chairman of the Foundation for American Security and Freedom. His book is The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir. Uh, John, you also write that we must immediately increase defense budgets uh, to Reagan-era levels, which, as I recall, is like about 6.5% of GDP, something like that. Um, You know that's controversial with the Republican House, and you also know, because you and I have been pals all these many years, that we're going to have to have supply-side growth in order to provide the resources for the defense budget. You know that. A hundred percent. And and that's why I, I say in the piece, and I, I, ho- I hope I got this right. Tell me if I did. We need to cut, we need to cut massively our domestic spending. Yes. And yes. what I'm proposing, obviously, is, is a big increase in defense, which means even bigger cuts in Domestic spending, I think much of it is wasted. I think it's simply income transfer policies do not encourage growth. But we need with that the kind of tax cut and regulatory reduction that can stimulate the economy. There's no question that if we don't have a strong economy domestically, we cannot have a strong American foreign policy. And I would say the reverse is true. If we don't have a strong presence in the world, we're not going to be able to maintain the kind of economic growth we need at home. The Biden administration has got both ends of that equation wrong. Mm. So the way the way to, to, to be able to sustain the growth in the defense budget we need without any doubt is significant increases in our, our rate of, uh, of economic growth. Well, I'll end on that. I'll just quote, higher levels of economic growth freed from crushing tax and regulatory burdens will underlie the necessary military buildup. This is Bolton at NSC and Cudlow at NEC. It's a good combination. I was going to say, I was quoting Larry Cudlow there. <laughs> it's a good combination. John, it's a great piece, very thoughtful, and um, thanks ever so much for coming on. Folks, we'll take a Always quick Always glad to do it. You betcha. We'll take a quick break. We're going to bring in Mark Mills from the Manhattan Institute and talk about this crazy EPA EV story. I'm Cudlow. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Cudlow Show.